Well, good morning. Welcome to church. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. Uh, you're here for the first time, or this is your second, third time back. We thank you for just being here to worship together with us. Um, I, I want to start off today and just say I love this church. I love this church for many reasons. Um, I want to share with you two this morning, two reasons why I love the church. First of all, I love this church because of how you guys love. It's... Um, it's been overwhelming, uh, your compassion, your care, your concern. Um, personally, for, for me, when I shared with you guys a couple weeks ago about my surf injury and the surfboard flying into my head and losing my hearing, uh, you guys have been so caring with your emails and your letters and your cards and just asking how I'm doing, letting me know you're praying for me. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, it really expresses your sincere love. And I just want to give you guys an update on that because some of you guys have been asking. But yeah, I finally got to go to the ENT on Friday just a couple days ago. And he got, gave me the results for the CT scan. And praise God, no signs of any fracture in my skull, no trauma to my brain. So that's, that's a praise. Thank you for your prayer for that. Um, appreciate your prayers lifted up. And then, you know, the hearing seems to be coming back. It's not totally back yet, but they injected steroids on Friday. Um, so I'll go back for a couple more weeks for more treatment. He, he's hoping that that will do it. There's no guarantee, but I believe that uh, God's hearing your prayers. So thank you for that. That's what I love about this church, the way you love. The second thing I love about this church is a little bit different from that. Um, I, I love this church for the diversity in this church. And... And I'm not just talking about the growing ethnic diversity, which we love. We praise God, and we pray that he keeps bringing more people from more cultures and different backgrounds who look different um, into this place. But, but what the people God's bringing in is not just ethnic diversity, but different generations, different walks of life, different socioeconomic status. There's so many people from different places calling this home. And with that, I've also noticed, and this is really interesting to me, we have a lot of diversity in terms of our church backgrounds, our upbringings. We have people here who have grown up in the Lutheran church. We have people who grew up in a Catholic church background. I know people who come from a charismatic Pentecostal church background. I know people from a conservative Reformed background, which are totally different in many different respects, and yet we come here and we feel comfortable comfortable to call this home, like this is home. And that, that surprises me, I love it, but it kind of blows my mind that we can have such different convictions and different uh, landing points on some of the things that scripture says and, and yet feel comfortable to call this my home. And we praise God for that, I praise God for that. But with that being said, you have to understand that I, I don't think this should be a place where we can come and just believe whatever we want to believe and feel comfortable with my own beliefs and my own convictions. See, our job as, as pastors and shepherds, our job is to be as faithful as we can with the scriptures and rely utterly on the Holy Spirit to, to lead us into truth. As we come from different paths, we need the Spirit of God to lead us onto one path. The one path that is led by Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? And th that's what we want to do. So it's not about me being up here trying to get you to believe what I believe. 
It's not about getting you to believe what Pastor Gary believes. What does God say is true? What does God say is true? And so that's our task, and we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit of God. And so I'm thankful for this series. We're in this series called God Inside, talking about the Holy Spirit himself. And I, I get the task. I've been assigned today to speak about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, one of the most controversial topics within Christianity. Thank you, Pastor Gary, for uh, hooking me up. I'll get you back next time. No, actually, praise God, because honestly, this allows me to really spend the time really studying the scriptures and really understanding this very difficult doctrine. So we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Before we do that, let's pray, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to lead us there, okay? And so, God, we take this very intentional moment to pause and ask that your Holy Spirit would come, that you would lead us into all truth, just like your word says your spirit will do, and you would teach us about your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal yourself to us. And so, God, I pray that we would come, wherever we come from, whatever background, we would come almost like like we have this clean slate, and we're just looking at your word for what it is. We ask that you would help us put aside our bias our traditions, and we would just see what your word says. So we give you our hearts and we give you our minds. And Lord, I pray as I speak this morning, God, I understand that any guy can come up here on stage and as long as he preaches eloquently or gives a a clear presentation, people can applaud and, and walk away thinking that was successful. And God, we don't want that this morning. God, I pray that there would be no success this morning. Nothing powerful, nothing life-changing, unless it's from you. Unless people are left here convinced that you spoke to us, it was your doing, it was your power, and we're left in awe and deeper in love with you. So that's what we ask for this morning. That's what I ask for. I pray this, and we all pray this together as one. In the powerful name of Jesus, we all say, Amen. amen. So we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What do we mean by that? Well, There's two main views I want to share with you guys this morning about how people understand this. Some Christians believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place, it's a one-time event when you initially give your life to Jesus. When you come by faith and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. And Christians will say, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then other Christians will say, and typically they're from the charismatic movement or Pentecostal background, they'll say, well, it's kind of a two-stage thing. You have that initial conversion where you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, but then there's also a subsequent event where the Holy Spirit will come upon a Christian in such a powerful, experiential, evident way. And one thing that many people will say is is it will be accompanied with specifically the speaking of tongues. You will speak in tongues, and that's how you will know you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, both sides are spoken of by well-meaning, good, Christ-following Christians. So what does the Bible say? And so I want to show you what the Bible says. The, the, The term baptism of the Holy Spirit actually comes up four times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each time it comes from the mouth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is this guy who's baptizing people in the Jordan River, and people hear about this guy, and they love what he's doing, and they give all their attention to this guy, John the Baptist, and what does John the Baptist do with that attention? Well, he redirects it to Jesus, 
And here's what he says. For example, in Mark chapter 1, verse 8, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark 1. If you have your apps or your notes, you can follow along. But here's what John uh, says. He says, I have baptized you with water, but he, talking about Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, what you have to understand about the word baptize, we teach this in our baptism class, is the Greek word baptizo. That's the original language it was written in. Baptizo means literally to submerge, to be immersed in, to dip under, to be covered in. So he's saying, listen, you guys are coming to me, and I submerge you in H2O. Like, I I cover you and immerse you with H2O, with water, but there's one who comes after me, and he is going to cover you and immerse you with his Holy Spirit. He's going to completely cover your life with the Holy Spirit of God. And so that's where we first hear the phrase, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in the Gospels, but then we go on into the New Testament, and we see two incidents in the book of Acts where people explicitly get baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter 2. So put your finger in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at these two stories, these two incidents, and see what observations we can make about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if you have your notes, here's the first observation I want to show you guys today. Write this down. The baptism of the Holy Spirit provides believers with power to proclaim. I'll give you guys a second to write that in. The baptism of the Holy Spirit provides believers with power to proclaim. So the very first instance where we see people baptized with the Holy Spirit happens at this celebration called Pentecost. And Pentecost, penta means 50th. It's the 50th day after the Passover celebration. And it also happened to be 50 days after Jesus was dead in the grave. That's the first time we see it. So imagine, bring yourself back to that time with me. Imagine you're the disciples, you're following Jesus. And when Jesus was arrested, fear filled the disciples. They were struck with fear, right? To the point where they start denying who that guy was. Who, Jesus? Nah, don't even know him. Never seen him before. Nah, I wasn't with him. I don't know Jesus. Why? Because they were scared that they might get arrested too. And then after they arrest Jesus, and then they kill him and put him on the cross, that fear went to the next level, skyrocketed. Why? Because now they're not only denying him publicly, but now behind closed doors, they won't even go out in public. They're, lock, they're locking themselves in this room. Why? Because if we go out there, they might kill us just like they did Jesus. So fear is like sky high right now. But imagine, what was it like for the disciples once Jesus, who was killed and put into the grave three days later, raises, rises from the dead? Oh, confidence filled the disciples, right? It's like, yeah, that's Jesus. That's our master. I told you we knew him. We knew him all along. We've been following him all these days. He just conquered the grave, stuck it in the face of Satan. He's overcome sin and death. That's, that's our man, right? And so they're ready to go and proclaim this news. They're ready to tell people that their master, Jesus, died and rose from the grave. And as Jesus came back from the dead, three days later, he, there's, this like, there's like this holy huddle going on in Jerusalem. He gathers his disciples in this holy huddle, and what does he say to them? He says, all right, guys, here's your first assignment. Now that I'm risen from the grave, all right, here's your first assignment. Ready? Do nothing. It's like, what? 
do, do nothing as in go and proclaim the gospel to all the people, to this world that needs to know that Jesus rose from the dead. He says, no, do nothing. Uh, by nothing, you mean go plant churches and hold gospel crusades and preach the gospel? No, do nothing. Okay, you mean like write books and write songs about your victory? No, do nothing. Just wait. And I know that's a little bit of a paraphrase, but let me show you where I get that idea from. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. This is after Jesus resurrected. And in verse 4, he says this. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. To wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We go on to verse 8. Here's what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why? Why wait, Jesus, when the world needs to know this news? They need to hear about what you just did. Why wait for the Holy Spirit to come? I'll tell you why. Because these disciples will be able to accomplish infinitely more with the power of the Holy Spirit in just one moment than they can do in an entire lifetime operating in their own power. Amen? that they're going to be able to do infinitely more in a moment with the power of the Holy Spirit than they can do a whole lifetime trying to operate in their own power. So just wait. Not many days from now, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Then it happened. Just like Jesus says, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost came. Here's what it says, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Would you guys underline that in verse 4 where it says other tongues? Underline those two words. They spoke in other tongues. And so finally, like Jesus had been promising on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes them. He comes and covers them. And how do we know? What's the evidence? Well, they begin to speak in other tongues. Now, I want to pause and make an observation about that. I had you underline it for a reason because I know that the speaking uh, of tongues is another controversial topic within the Christian church, right? Because some people will say, well, speaking in tongues is, it's an intelligible language, meaning it's like a language we can understand. It's another language that may not be natural to you, but, but it's something like Arabic or German or Japanese or Spanish. And then some will say, no, speaking in tongues is unintelligible, it's a language that nobody on earth really understands except the Spirit of God or the angels in heaven. It's a spiritual language. And so there's two views on what tongues are. Well, I had you underline it because in the Greek language that it was written in are the words heterais glossais. Heterais is the plural form of the word other. Other. And then glossais is the plural form of the word tongues or nations or languages. So they're speaking in other glossies, other tongues or languages. So is it intelligible or unintelligible? Well, we know for sure from this incident in 
Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, we know it was an intelligible language. How do we know that? Because you go on and read, and it says that there are other people there at the celebration who heard their own native dialect spoken by these disciples. And they're like, how, how are these guys? Aren't they Galileans? How, how are they speaking my hometown language? I understand what they're saying. So we know it was intelligible because people were understanding their own native tongue. It's just it wasn't natural to those disciples. It was power from the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's crazy. How are they speaking this language? And so that was evidence that something supernatural just happened, that God from on high has finally arrived to live in them and give them this ability. My question is, if God could come in the power of his Holy Spirit, he could do whatever he wants. Why, why give them other tongues? Like, if he wanted, he could come only upon the disciples and have the disciples start floating. What, right? They start flying in the air. That's crazy. Like, that would be like, okay, that's not from this world. That's otherworldly. I, I, I would be convinced. Or, or, or he could come and he can, like, make his disciples, only his, his disciples, like, glow. Their faces, like, neon glowing, brilliantly shining. And I'd be like, that? Okay, that's weird. That's, like, not of this world. I'm convinced that, that something just happened to you. Why tongues? Here, here, here's what I, I really believe is going on. Tongues that weren't natural to them, yeah, that's supernatural. So something's happening. But listen, I think our God is not chaotic, but he's strategic. See, a lot of times people who explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they'll say, here's what's going to happen. You're going to start speaking in, in all this babble that no one understands, and you're going to lose control of your tongue, or, or you'll start convulsing, and you'll start shaking, or you'll start rolling on the ground, or you're, you'll start barking like a dog, or you're, you'll, you'll start laughing hysterically. And, and I don't know if you've seen videos online, but I've seen videos of people claiming this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you, it's kind of crazy to me. And I look at scripture and the Bible says God is not chaotic. In the, in the description, in 1 Corinthians 12, in the description of tongues, it says God is a God of order, not of disorder. And so I believe our Holy Spirit is not chaotic, but I believe he is strategic. And maybe giving them tongues is not only supernatural power from on high, but maybe it's practical power. Because how in the world are these disciples going to go and be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? How are these uneducated men going to reach the nations when we don't even know the languages of those nations? Well, don't worry. My spirit will come upon you, and I will empower you to do what I'm calling you to do. I will, give you, I will provide power for you to proclaim. Don't worry about this. I think God's just being strategic here. And so listen. These, these guys, I think one of the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming to baptize the believers, one clear purpose was to empower these underqualified, these uneducated Jewish dudes in Jerusalem to now go tell the world about Jesus. And once the Holy Spirit came upon them, what did they do? They did just that. They went through Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth to the point where what they started in Jerusalem 2,000 years later reached this Chinese guy from a Cantonese-speaking family in Torrance, California. Now I get to proclaim the gospel as a beneficiary of what those Jewish dudes started 2,000 years ago in a country across the world. How? Well, in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so the Holy Spirit says, I will provide you power to proclaim. And some of us, and we think about that, and, and, and we, feel, we feel scared about that. Right? You feel unqualified. You feel inadequate. Who am I to talk about the gospel? And if that's you, I want to say, bingo. Nailed it. Some of you guys are like, I don't have what it takes. I'm not capable of changing anyone's life. I want to say, bingo. Nailed it. You aren't. Neither were the disciples. But that's okay. And that's why Jesus said, that's okay. I'm going to come and I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit of God. And when his power comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Sometimes as, as uh, Christians, we can get so caught up and so obsessed with wanting to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in church. And so we'll come week after week, and we hope God does something and shows himself. And, and some of you have had that experience. Like, you'll come. I hear stories like during worship, you say tears stream down your face. It's like, where are these coming from? Oh, God, this is powerful. And then you hear the message. And it's like goosebumps because it feels like I'm the only person in this room, and it's like God's talking directly to me. Man, he's like striking me and convicting me. Oh, my gosh. And you walk out of that weekend service like the Holy Spirit showed up. That was powerful, and you want to come back the next week hoping I experience the Holy Spirit in the same way, and you come, want to experience the Holy Spirit, and then it happens to be, oh, Pastor Greg speaking. Oh, well, that was an average message. That was underwhelming, <laughs> right? And I get that happens, and I just want to say when that happens, it's not me, it's you. You're living in sin. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I get it. It happens. Every week is a different week, and sometimes you have that experience, sometimes you don't. And so we can get so obsessed with trying to experience him here in the church on the weekend. And I love what Francis Chan says. He says, you really want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit? You really want to experience what he has come to do? Get out of here. Like, get out of here. Get out of these four walls. Go out there and witness. Go out there and take Jesus to your school. Take Jesus to your sports team. Take Jesus to your family gatherings, to your non-Christian friends. Take Jesus to your students. Go talk about Jesus. Go talk about your faith. Go to the nations. Go to Uganda. Go to East Asia. Go to Japan. Start putting yourself out there, and you will be shocked at what the Holy Spirit is able to do in you. There will be times when you're going to be like, dude, how did that come out of me? <laughs> how was I able to share that? That's crazy. I'll tell you, that wasn't you. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Corey Ten Boom, she was famous. She, uh, she was a Dutch Christian during World War II. And she was famous for living out her faith. Her family lived out their faith. And what they would do is they would smuggle Jews into their house and they would hide Jews in their closet from the Nazis during the Holocaust. So here's a picture of Corey Ten Boom. And here's a picture of their actual house. It's become a museum now. And behind the bookshelf, they, they, they made this little secret hiding place. Well, Corey Ten Boom and her family, they actually got caught. And they were arrested, they were persecuted and imprisoned for doing what they did, living out their faith. Well, her, her father ended up dying in prison, and I, I believe her sister as well. But Corey Ten Boom, by the grace of God, was able to go on to live her life as a Christian evangelist. And she, she tells the story of when she was a little girl. And here, here's how she tells the story. She says to her dad, she says, Daddy, I'm afraid that I will never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. 
Well, tell me, said Father, when we take a trip to Amsterdam, when we take a train trip to Amsterdam, when, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Three weeks before? No, Daddy, you give me the money for the ticket just before we get on the train. That is right, Father said. So it is with God. Our Father in heaven knows when you will need the strength to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. He will supply all that you need just in time. Not too early, not too late, but just in time. I love that that's not far from Scripture. Jesus actually taught this. Look at Luke chapter 21. Look what Jesus says. He says in 21 verse 12, he says, But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Everyone say witness. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Now, check this out. I've never noticed this before, but verse 14. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate on it beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. I never noticed that. Settle it in your minds not to meditate on it beforehand. In other words, settle it in your minds not to rely on your own wit, your own smarts, your own understanding, your own knowledge, but trust me. I will give you wisdom that nobody can speak against. Put yourself out there and trust me. I will give you what you need, not too late, not too early, but just in time. And I'm telling you, that, that, that passage, that's counterintuitive for me. But it requires a lot of faith. And he says, trust me, my spirit will come and give you wisdom. And so my challenge to you, church, is will, will you go? And will you go and start talking to people about Jesus, about this Jesus, you know, and, 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 and put his word to the test? And I believe God will give you what you need. He will give you the words. And who knows, if it's necessary, he might give it to you in Russian. Or he might give it to you in Farsi. Or he might give it to you if you need it in Japanese. Who knows? Our God is so powerful. He, if he wants, he'll give it to you in pigeon. Right? Save my Christian brothers, right? Like, <laughs> he'll give you what you need to proclaim. He will provide the power to proclaim. And that's one reason why he sent the Holy Spirit to baptize us and cover us. Why? So that we would be his witnesses. Like, we feel so comfortable being Christians here. Like, We'll talk about Jesus. We'll raise our hands to Jesus and sing about Jesus in here. But we go out there and it's like, oh, man, can't talk about Jesus. What are they going to do? What are they going to think? And that's okay. That's exactly how the disciples were, right? We feel comfortable in this enclosed space. The disciples felt comfortable being Christians and followers of Christ in their enclosed space. They locked themselves in a room. That's the only place they felt comfortable at the time of being disciples, because if we go out there, they're going to kill us. But that was pre-Holy Spirit. And yet when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they received power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, where you guys have become beneficiaries. Okay, so that's the first observation. The baptism of the Holy Spirit provides believers with power to proclaim. I want to turn you to Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. And here's the second observation we're going to make. Write this down. The baptism of the Holy Spirit identifies believers who belong to the body. 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit identifies believers who belong to the body. So now these disciples, these Jewish guys in Jerusalem, they have power to now go and fearlessly proclaim. And then Peter, this Jewish guy, he was the one who denied Jesus three times. He was the one who said, I don't know him. No relationship with him. He denied Jesus three times in fearfulness. And now we see him go proclaim to the Gentiles in fearlessness. Right? Because God sets up this, this meeting between this Jewish guy, Peter, and this Greek guy, this Gentile guy named Cornelius. And Cornelius is an official, and he invites Peter and his Jewish friends into his own home. Now, you have to understand, back then, Jews and Gentiles did not hang out. They did not associate. It was actually against Jewish law. You can't do that. So Cornelius takes a chance, invites Peter in. Check out what Peter says to Cornelius once he's in Cornelius' house. Acts chapter 10, verse 28. Peter said to them, he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Now, pause right there. He says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. That is gangster. Like, how, how are you going to get invited into someone's house? They're, like, totally hospitable. They're hosting. You're like, yeah, you know, I don't hang out with people like you. I don't visit people of other nations like you. That's gangster. But then he goes on. He says, but... God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And so what he's saying is this interaction right here, here is, shouldn't be happening. But now that Jesus has come, now that I have the spirit of God, everything's different. That changes everything. And so now he's in Cornelius' house and he starts telling him about Jesus. He starts taking this power that's been provided and he's proclaiming. And if you read on in Acts chapter 10, it's not a crazy sermon. It's not like this eloquent speech with all these crazy illustrations. He just tells Cornelius and his Greek friends and family about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Just telling them Jesus came, then he died, and he rose. And as he's telling them this simple story of Jesus, something powerful happens inside these Gentiles. Look, look what happens in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jews, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Stop right there. So, so in that moment, when, when Peter's just telling them about Jesus, here's Jesus, something happens in their hearts, and they start believing that, ah, I think what he's saying is true. And because of that faith, the Holy Spirit comes and covers them and immerses them with his presence and power. How do we know? Because they start speaking in tongues too, just like the Jewish disciples experienced at Pentecost. And that's how they knew the Holy Spirit had, has arrived. Now, I want to pause and make a brief observation about this because there's a lot of Christians who will tell you that you've only been baptized by the Holy Spirit if you start speaking in tongues that that's the evidence that you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit and they'll say it's because look Acts chapter 2 Acts chapter 10 every time they were baptized in the Holy Spirit they all spoke in tongues and, and I want to say humbly before you 
I don't think that's biblically accurate. I don't think we can make that conclusion. Why? Because you look at the book of Acts, which is a narrative, and this narrative in Acts is descriptive and not prescriptive necessarily. What do I mean? Well, the book tells us a story, and it's describing to us what happened then, but it's not necessarily prescribing to us what must happen at all times in all places. I just, I just want to put that out there, and that's not my bias. How do we know it's not just my bias? Well, because look at Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29. This comes from the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about the diversity in the body of Christ that the Holy Spirit gives. He says in verse 29, this is a rhetorical questions. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? And the answer to that rhetorical question is no. Not, not all of us are teachers. Not all of us are prophets. Not all of us work miracles. Then he goes on in verse 30. Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? And once again, the answer to that rhetorical question is no. And his point in that passage is we're not going to all look like we'll have different gifts as the Holy Spirit apportions it according to his grace, according to his will. And so the answer is no, we're not all going to speak in tongues. And so I want to point that out because we see that it did happen in Acts 2 and Acts 10. Why? Why should they all get tongues? Well, Peter explains the whole incident like this. Acts chapter 11, next chapter. Here's what he explains what is going on. In verse 15, he says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift, circle that word, same, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And so what Peter is concluding is that because the Holy Spirit came strategically to fill them in the same exact way that he filled us at Pentecost, what's going on here? Well, God is revealing to Peter and the Jews this revolutionary idea that now anyone who comes and believes in Jesus, anybody, the same God who came to live inside the Jews is the same God who's willing to come to live inside the Gentiles. This has never happened before that Jew and Gentile would worship the same God in the same spirit. And God's showing because I came to you in this miraculous way, I'm coming to them in this miraculous way. Anybody, doesn't matter your color, doesn't matter the nation you originate, doesn't matter your background, whoever believes in the name of Jesus, the spirit of God, the same spirit of God will come to live in you and place you in the same body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is one of the main texts about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12, he says, For just as the body is one, it has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so a second purpose that we learn for why the Holy Spirit comes to baptize us, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to place us into the body of Christ. It's to come and make his distinct mark on us that even beyond the Jews that, that he has the Holy Spirit of God in them, she has the Holy Spirit of God 
of God in them. And when the Holy Spirit is in us and we have the evidence in us coming out of us, then that's how you can be sure that that person truly belongs to the body of Christ. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is identifying us, marking us as those who truly believe and belong to the body. Doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter your social status, your economic status, whoever believes in Christ. I, I opened up this message talking about how doctors have been looking into my ear uh, because of this surf injury. And the, the truth is the doctors have always looked into my ears for years, right? Surfers, I don't know if you guys know this, but surfers have this thing in their ears called surfer's ear. And what it is, is when surfers surf often in cold water, uh, the, the cold ocean water, over time you start getting this bone growth in your ear canal. Uh, it's this cartilage that grows and it's trying to compensate for all the cold water going in and so you get surfers here. And so a few years ago I was at a new doctor. I've never seen this doctor before. I just signed up with her. And so this was our first encounter. She knows nothing about me and she's doing just a checkup, right? And so she starts by looking into my ears. She looks into my, my, my right ear, then she looks into my left ear, and the first thing she says, she goes, ah, so you're a surfer, huh? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you sur see the surfer's ear? She goes, nope, you still got sand in your ears. <laughs> True story. And then she goes, and then behind the sand, I see your surfer's ear. I'm like, yeah, guilty as charged. She knew right away I was a surfer. A couple years ago, I was in the lobby here. Brand new couple came to our church, never been to our church before, first time, first time meeting them. And after the service, I'm talking to them, getting to know them. And in the middle of the conversation, the wife goes, you're a surfer, huh? I'm like, what? How do you know? Like, and it was creepy because I didn't talk about surfing in my message that night. I'm like, how do you know? She's like, well, you got a crazy wetsuit neck tan. Your neck tan is crazy, just like my husband. And her husband goes, yep. And I'm like, yeah, shakara. Like, we had the same matching neck tans from our wetsuit. And surfers will have evidence that they surf. There are certain things that will be on display that people will see that identifies them. You're a surfer, aren't you? And in the same way, believers ought to have evidence. There ought to be marks. There ought to be distinctions that that make it known that you belong to the body of Christ, where other Christians will look at you and be like, you're a Christian, aren't you? I think he belongs to the body of believers. He looks a little bit like, like me, the way he's living. Or, or even non-Christians, people outside the body. She looks a lot like those people over there. And so people ought to see the Holy Spirit in us, evidence that we belong to the body. That's why the Holy Spirit has come to baptize us. Now, looking at these two ch chapters, Acts 2 and Acts 10, and looking at these stories where people were explicitly baptized in the Holy Spirit, here's what I believe we should take away from this. Here's our takeaway. More than merely an event that happens in the Christian's life, the baptism of the Holy Spirit ought to be the ongoing, continuous description of the Christian's life. It ought to be the ongoing characteristic of our lives. Why? The word baptism, we said at the beginning, it's a description. It's one who's been submerged, immersed, covered, enveloped, soaked in the Spirit. And that's not a moment in time. They shouldn't see that in us just one day. They should see that over the course of our lifetime. Let's all agree, everybody who believes in the Word of God, who believes in Jesus Christ, there's a couple things we all have to agree on. 
No matter where you came from, the first is this. Every believer in Jesus Christ by faith has the Holy Spirit in them. Amen? Amen. Everybody who believes in Jesus has the Holy Spirit. How do we know? Well, the Bible is very clear on that. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 tells us, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Once you listen to it and, and you hear it and you believe, immediately you receive the Holy Spirit of promise as a seal in your life. So every believer in Christ will, be, will have the Holy Spirit of God in them. So, so that's something we all agree on. Here's the second truth that we all must agree on. Every believer ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Every believer ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Well, Ephesians 5, 18 tells us, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Circle that word, fill. Do you guys realize there's a difference between having the Spirit indwell you and live in you and the Holy Spirit filling you? That's two different things. Right, let me illustrate that for you. It's one thing to have the Holy Spirit of God in you, and it's another to have him fill you. That word fill means just that. It means you're full. You're filled up. And what happens when you're full of something? Well, what happens? Well, it's going to come out. It's going to overflow. How many of you guys uh, know what this is? How many of you know what this is? Yeah, what is it? Yeah, sinner. Um, no, it's okay. <laughs> I don't know what this is. It just it was here. Um, how many of you guys have ever seen a pastor crack open a beer on stage? <laughs> it's crazy. But what happens if you decide to fill yourself with alcohol? What, what, what starts to happen once you're full? What comes out? The beer comes out. The alcohol comes out. You fill yourself with alcohol, alcohol will come out. Your alcohol, once you start talking, your alcohol will start talking. You fill yourself with beer, you get into a car, your alcohol will start driving. In the same way, anything you're full of, you're full of anger and rage, what's going to come out? Your anger and rage is going to come out. If you're full of pride, your pride will come out. And so, in other words, whatever you're filled with and full of, that's what controls you. That's what influences you. That's what's going to come out inevitably. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine. Do not be full of wine or alcohol where it's coming out of you. But instead, what does the scripture say? Be filled with what? The spirit. Uh, the, the living water of life. And in that passage, it's, it's actually in the imperative mood in the Greek. It means it's a command. It's a command. You have to seek and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pray and ask, and you will find. Knock, the door will be open. Seek, and you will receive. Fill yourself with the Holy Spirit of God, and what happens? What's going to come out once you fill yourself with the Holy Spirit of God? The Spirit's going to come out. Now you can tell the people, your pastor just turned wine into water. <laughs> you, you fill yourself with the Spirit. The Spirit will come out inevitably. Because the reality, there's a difference. You believe by faith, promise. The promise is you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. But he's not always evident in you. Let me give you another analogy. Let's say this is the Holy Spirit of God right here, and you believe by faith, and the promise from God is he's in you. He's come, just like he promised. But do you realize the Bible says sometimes, though the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, we 
by our sin, we can quench the spirit. Sometimes by our attitudes, we, we can grieve the spirit. Sometimes even the spirit is fire. Sometimes we can walk lukewarm in our faith. And so just because he's in you doesn't mean he's flowing out of you. But what if we pray and we open ourselves and we say, God, come and fill us. God, I want to be open to you. Please come into my life and, and, and be all of you in me and stir in me and, and walk in me. Well, what's going to happen if we pray and seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What's going to happen? Well, eventually, he's going he's gonna to stir in you and he's going to start overflowing in you. And you keep asking for more every single day of our lives. And you're going to watch what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit in you will be alive in you. He will fill you and overflow in your life. Amen? Amen. And so, <laughs> Christian, our, our, our prayer, our prayer is that the Holy Spirit would not just live in you, but let us daily seek the filling of the Spirit. A few weeks ago, we had a baptism here at the church, right? 28 brothers and sisters got baptized. And it was so cool to, to have all, a lot of you guys back there and we're there cheering them on, supporting them. And I'll be honest with you, some of these baptism candidates I, I had never met before. Like that day was the first time I saw some of these people. So we didn't have a relationship, but after everyone got baptized, all 28 got baptized, and everybody's back there and hugging and taking pictures, I, I wanted to go and hug those who got baptized and shake their hand and congratulate them and, and, and just, just be happy with them, right? But there were so many people back there, and, and I didn't know them personally, so how did I find them? Well, I'm scanning the crowds, I'm looking for them, and it was easy. How did I see them? They were soaked. Right? No, they're, they're the ones with hair dripping with water. Their, their shirts were soaked. They're shivering with their towels on them because it was so cold. But it was so easy for me to spot them. They had been submerged. They had been soaked. They had been immersed. And I went up to them. I said, congratulations. God bless you. Praise God for you. I gave them a hug and I would shake their hands. Why? They were easy for me to see. If you've been soaked and you've been submerged, it'll look like it. Christians, if you've been immersed in the Holy Spirit, if you've been soaked in the Spirit of God, you'll look like you. And I pray that we church, South Bay Community Church, that we would be people famous in this community as people who have been baptized by the living Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Would you guys bow your heads and and I want to lead us into a time of response. Let's do that, like right now. Let's ask the Holy Spirit of God to fill us that should be a daily ask. Jesus', Jesus says, ask, and you will receive. Knock, and the door will be open. Seek, and you will find. And then he goes on, he says, you guys who are evil, you guys who are sinful, you know how to give gifts, good gifts to your children. You know how to bless your children. How will our heavenly Father not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we just got to ask. I pray that you guys would open up your hearts and if you want, like physically open up your hands and just say, God, please. And so listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, maybe you've been walking lukewarm in your faith. Ask for the fire of the Holy Spirit to, to be alive in you. Maybe you've been living in sin. You feel weak because of your struggle with sin. Ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in repentance. Maybe you're scared. Fear fills you right now. Ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to give you courage and boldness.
open up your heart and receive. Let him fill you. And let him manifest himself in you in however way he believes you need right now. Then maybe as you guys are praying, there's some others who are not believers in Jesus Christ. And you're here by invite or by chance, just trying to check this church thing out. Good news for you. The Bible says you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. You believe he rose from the dead. You will be saved. That means right now you could be baptized. Today you could be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he could come and live inside of you and start making himself known to you just like he did to those Gentiles in that moment. And however he wants to do that, it could be an outward manifestation or it could be more subtle or quiet, but somehow he's going to make his, his way in you and he's going to make his mark on you. You just ask and receive. I'm going to give you that moment right now. And then I'm going to lead you in a time of prayer. Here's what I'm going to ask everybody to do with your eyes closed. Instead of raising your hands, if you want to, to experience the, the Holy Spirit in your life, you want to live as one who's baptized in the Holy Spirit, whether you're a Christian or a non-believer coming for the first time, I'm going to ask you just where you are, just hold your hands out as if you're receiving a gift and no one's watching you, just as if you're receiving from him, hold it out as an expression, an outward expression of an inward faith. I'm going to pray out loud. You just pray this with all your heart with me. Father God, thank you for wanting to come and live inside of me. Thank you for giving me Jesus. I believe with all my heart that he died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. And he rose from the grave to prove that he has power to conquer. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come into my life. I ask that you would fill me in such an evident way that, that's so clear to me and to those around me that something's going on, that there's a change about me. Help me to be a representative of you in the world. Help me to represent you by what they see in me, that your spirit in me would flow from the inside out. So God, fill me. Lord, bless me so that I would be a blessing to others. May people see Jesus alive in me. I commit my life to you, and I pray this with a glad, thankful heart. In Jesus' name, amen.